Well, good morning. Welcome. That was a new one for me. I actually heard people quieting down and I heard some shh going on. It makes me want to come up here and ask what's wrong with y'all. But I'm glad that you're here. Glad to, to see all your smiling faces this morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new visiting with us, I'd encourage you to fill out a Connect card. Let us know of your attendance here with us this morning. We'd be glad to make contact with you and reach out. Uh, if you're a regular attender and you have a specific prayer need that you would like for us to be aware of and be praying for throughout uh, the course of this week, uh, please do the same. Fill that out and uh, drop it in our offering box back there on the Welcome Center, uh, next to the Welcome Center, and we'll be sure to be praying for your uh, needs as well. A few announcements to bring to your attention. Uh, you may have watched the announcements on the slideshow. I'll highlight a few things. Uh, for starters, if you are a uh, Sunday school teacher uh, at any grade level, uh, I'd invite you to come and meet with us uh, here on the piano side following the service. We have uh, a short meeting to uh, conduct a, a few uh, things with you, uh, some things to give you, and uh, other uh, stuff to bring to your attention. So please, if you are grade, not grade, age two through adult, we'll just go with adult. That'll be our, our ceiling, okay, through adult. Uh, I would invite you to come and uh, teachers to, to be there for that. Uh, additionally, this coming Friday, we have our food pantry, March the 4th at 4.30. If you are interested in being involved with that, uh, we always love to have volunteers helping out with that. Uh, you can see John Forshee. He is not here this morning, um, but uh, you should, most everybody knows who he is, so get a hold of him and uh, he will get you assigned to something. Always can find something to be done. Four o'clock for that food pantry on Friday. Additionally, the Positive Alternatives Banquet is March the 10th. And uh, as always, we tend to host two tables, and so we would like to get those filled. If you are interested in participating or being a part of that, you can see Brad or Marsha Uffelman, who are uh, stage left right over here. And uh, they would uh, love to... They're what? They're filled. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, there's more tables. So still see them. They'll get you connected if you want to be there. All right? Fabulous. Uh, men Modeling the Master. Uh, so, gentlemen, if you're interested, uh, on Saturday, March the 12th, 12th uh, taking a, a group of guys that want to go to Flint uh, for this uh, small conference, day conference. And so I'd encourage you, uh, gentlemen, if you... Uh, can weed out a day uh, to come and join that. It'll be a, an enriching time uh, of learning and growing in your walk with the Lord there with a, a group of guys. Uh, last thing to note, uh, this is our paper version of our uh, weekly newsletter. And uh, you can grab these on the Welcome Center when you come in. Uh, it has the same information that you get in the Friday email. All right. And so just to, to not be confusing, you'll see the House of Hope prayer meeting is listed there. If you're reading it, it says tonight. That was actually this past Friday. So that went with our email. So uh, my apologies for that. Uh, we'll not do that to be confusing next time. So uh, that prayer meeting has already taken place. That's not to keep you from praying for the House of Hope, mind you. Please feel free to uh, be praying for that ministry uh, when you have opportunity. All right, Pastor Mark, would you come? And speaking of prayer, uh, this past week has been quite a week for our globe. If you've been paying attention to things going on in, in uh, the Ukraine, and uh, sometimes we, we wonder what, what in the world uh, what in the world's going on, first of all, and then 
what, what are we even to do about that? In our Friday email, we sent out some information from ABWE, one of our uh, missionary sponsors, and they have a, a link to, um, if you would like to give to help uh, the, the ministry, the ongoing ministry in the Ukraine, that there are, uh, they are poised to be able to help uh, those in need at this time. And so there's a, there's a way to give uh, through that. Um, but, but other than financial giving, what, what can we do? And, and we don't say this with any sort of uh, uh, making, making it too, too trite or too simple, but, but truly God's people can pray. And if we believe that um, God is sovereign, if we believe that God is the one who rules over all things, which many of us would say yes and amen to, to that, that very thing, then uh, our prayer uh, ought to be just that. Uh, to to come to him and ask for for him to do what only he can do, and so um, we have a, a prayer guide that is available on the uh, welcome nope on the re- resource table, and just a, a few pointers uh, to pray for to kind of help help you think through some of the some of the thoughts to, to pray. Uh, but this morning I asked if if John uh, Mitchell would come and and lead us in prayer, and he can share a little bit more of his connections there in UK. Thank you. I appreciate Pastor Mark uh, coming to me this morning and, and asking if I would uh, lead in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, besides the, the prayer guide that the church has provided, if you should happen to remember a couple of specific names, uh, we, our family, is personally acquainted with at least two uh, missionary families, ABWE missionary families. Uh, we have been in contact, well, not personally, but we are, they have been in contact with, uh, with us in regards to getting out the latest information. Uh, they personally had to leave uh, this past Wednesday. They live near the, the Ukrainian-Moldova border, which is on the west side. They're about an hour from the Moldova um, uh, border there. And normally the trip of 60 miles would only take an hour or so, and it took them 22 hours uh, because of the, uh, the, the number of people that are fleeing the country. Uh, so if you happen to remember the name Suko or Gustafsons, uh, it's actually a brother and sister and their families uh, that we are acquainted with, and uh, they are both out of the country now and safe. We praise the Lord for that. But uh, there are only a couple of a number that we need to be praying for in regards to the situation. It's a very, very real, desperate situation. And we need to pray not just for our missionaries, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the whole situation overall. So with that, let's go to, work, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, our hearts are heavy this morning as we uh, think about what is occurring over there in Ukraine. And we especially want to think of your children, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are facing very, very real and often terrifying situations. I pray for uh, the national Christians, Lord, first of all, that have decided to stay on, that you would give them the protection they need at the same time that the light of Christ might shine through them to others. We know that many times in these situations, though they're difficult, they also often open up doors of opportunity to share the gospel with those that are without hope. And we ask, Lord, that indeed the light of Christ might shine through them and that they might also sense your presence and the comfort and the strength they need for guidance in regards to decisions that must be made. 
We thank you, Lord, for uh, our missionaries that have been able to get out. We pray for any others that might still be uh, in the field. Pray for direction as they try to determine how best to proceed at this point. For those that have left, I ask again that you would help them in decisions that need yet to be made in regards to uh, their present situation, uh, basically as refugees. In some cases, we just ask, Lord, that you would undertake in their behalf and protect them, help them to continue to be shining lights for you. Father, we pray also for uh, those that are the aggressors, those that uh, normally we may not be we may not tend to think about them and pray for them, and yet, Lord, they also need you as their Lord and Savior. And so we pray, Lord, that in uh, the midst of these situations, as you have promised in your word, that uh, the hand of the king is in, the heart of the king is in your hands, and we ask, Lord, that even now you might be working in the hearts and the minds of those that have, uh, for reasons of ego or pride or greed, have taken these made these decisions to become the aggressors in this invasion I pray Lord that you would intervene in, in behalf uh, of the overall situation and that uh, though we know not exactly what your perfect will is in this we know that you are in control and so we ask Lord that you would make this very real in the lives of your people and uh, undertake for them give them protection give them wisdom Give them courage and strength, Lord, in these difficult times. Most of all, Lord, we pray that your name would be honored and glorified through this all as your, as your children continue to seek to uh, faithfully serve you and lead a life that honors you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our call to worship this morning? It comes from Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Amen. Would you sing with us, Holy, Holy, Holy.
Amen. Thank you for your singing. Remain standing as Tim Hill leads us in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we know we stand before you, a holy God, pure and upright and sovereign over all. But in that, you stepped out of heaven, willing to sacrifice your own son for us. And without that gift of your son who died on the cross, we couldn't know you as our father and as our God, and we couldn't worship you. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for what you have done for us. You are holy and you are just, but you are loving and you are merciful to us. Sinners saved by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Would you sing with me? All I have is Christ. Subscribe. 
Grades one through three, you are dismissed for junior church. The rest of you, I'm going to give you an option for this one. The next song we're going to sing is Living Hope. And we're on this topic of what's happening overseas in Ukraine and stuff. And the believers that are over there, they have the same living hope that we have. They know that in this trial and in this war that they're facing, that they have a God that has never leave them. He's not dead. He rose. So he is living today, and he is living forever. So if you would stand with me to sing Living Hope, do it as you can. If not, remain seating.
seated. Thank you for your singing this morning. That was uh, encouragement to hear God's people singing together. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 12. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it with me uh, this morning, page 848, 848, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Reads as follows. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they all marveled at him. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word that truly never changes. People come and go. Societies come and go. Cultural values come and go. And yet your word stands forever. Kingdoms rise and fall. Governments come and go. Leaders and presidents and kings and emperors come and go. And yet your word stands forever. And so it's upon that word that we gather here this morning. It's upon that word that tells us that you are holy You are completely separated from sin. Therefore, you are the only one who deserves our worship. And because you are holy, because you are without sin, you are the only one who sees things rightly. 
And we, though seeing in a glass dimly, come this morning to, to your word, asking for your spirit to give us sight to know the mind of God, to know what your thoughts are, and for our thoughts to be aligned with your thoughts. So this morning we ask for that. We ask that you would give us eyes to see. You would give us ears to hear. You would give us hearts to believe this morning. That the scriptures in, in your spirit would, would do a work that no preacher could ever do. And we'll give thanks for that even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 12, again, page 848 for those who are using a pew Bible this morning. Over the past few years, uh, recent years, issues related to God and government have been kind of at the forefront for most of us, from lockdowns to emergency authorized powers, from executive orders to medical mandates, uh, the disputes have been a source of a fair amount of uh, stress, uh, distress, conflicts, disagreements, misunderstanding, even and especially within the church. M many wonder and have wondered, what is the role of government? What is the role of government? Should we obey the government? Should we not obey the government? If we should obey the government, when should we obey the government? If we shouldn't obey the government, why and when should we not obey the government? And though these questions came kind of hot and heavy in 2020 for many of us, they're not actually that new of questions, are they? In fact, our passage this morning, we see Jesus confronted with this same issue of God and government. After hearing Jesus' parable, earlier in chapter 12, uh, the religious leaders uh, were not pleased with his response, right? that the parable they, they realized was about them, that they were the, the tenants who were killing God's messengers. They were the ones who were not listening to God's message. They didn't like what Jesus had to say. They wanted to arrest him, verse 12 tells us. Luke says they wanted to lay hands on him, but because they feared the people, they didn't do anything at least anything at the time. Now, between the end of chapter 11 and the end of chapter 12, there are five confrontations that are recorded between the religious leaders and Jesus. And here in our passage this morning, we see the second of those confrontations. Verse 13 and 14 begin by detailing this, this attack that uh, Jesus um, comes under this uh, an, an attempt to trap Jesus. Look at it in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now you remember that the goal here of the religious leaders with Jesus, uh, when Jesus became more well-known, was to try to discredit Jesus. They, they, they wanted to eliminate him. They wanted to marginalize him. They didn't like what Jesus was saying, not so much exclusively for the theology, though that was obviously in conflict, but because his influence was taking power away from them. 
And so this was a problem. Verse 13 says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees. The they here is the, what's called the Sanhedrin. It's a council of religious, Jewish religious leaders. A group of leaders sent these people out to Jesus with the intent of, according to Mark chapter 13 there, to trap him in his talk. Who did they send? They sent some Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Now, if, if we're honest, sometimes when we read the Bible, we might just kind of gloss right over that kind of grouping, right? Those must be Jesus' opponents, right? Uh, we, don't really, we don't know what Herodians even mean, but, but they, they certainly didn't like Jesus. And they were all against Jesus. Okay, let's, 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 let's carry on. Um, it's true that they all were opponents of, of Jesus, but it is important that we understand who the two groups were. Uh, the first group is, is the Pharisees, or was the Pharisees. Now, many of us have heard the word Pharisee. If you're not a regular at, at church, you've probably heard of the word Pharisee. Sometimes that's attributed even today to someone who, who you might see as a, a hypocrite or, or someone who is very interested in telling everybody else what they need to do while they themselves are not doing those very things. Sometimes we call those people Pharisees. Well, th- this, this group uh, what were, were just that. They were Pharisees. In, in Math, Matthew's gospel, he says that they're disciples of the Pharisees. So possibly these were the younger, zealous religious scholars. Either way, they're still, they're still Pharisees. And these, um, these, this group of men were, were said to be nationalistic uh, with a narrow, conservative view of Judaism. Uh, they were superstitious formalists. They were concerned with outward ceremony, outward religion. Uh, they resisted Rome. They were Jewish, and they didn't like that Rome was occupying Jerusalem. So they were, they were not a fan of, of the Romans. Uh, they didn't appreciate their, their occupation. As it relates to Jesus here, they had a, a religious agenda with Jesus. Theirs was a religious agenda. Uh, one commentator, Kent Hughes, calls this group the right-wingers. If you would see the spectrum, they, they were on the right wing. The second group is the Herodians. The Herodians, uh, Luke calls them spies, but, but it's a group of uh, a political party, actually. And this was a group of people who were supported by the, the regime of Herod Antipas. Now, if you remember Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist, right? So not really a fan of the way of Jesus, we could say, right? So this, this is the group that's supported by uh, Herod, uh, Herod Antipas. Uh, they were liberal. They, they merged different belief systems or convictions together. Uh, the fancy word for that is synchronism. Uh, synchronism is the, the idea of multiple uh, beliefs or multiple uh, convictions or theologies trying to, to be mixed together. Well, they despised religion in general. They were sold out to the Romans and they accommodated the Roman occupation even though they obviously were, were Jewish people. They cared more about pleasing men than pleasing God. So whereas the, the Pharisees had, may have had a, a religious agenda, the Herodians had a political agenda. Hughes calls this group the left-wingers. In, in these two descriptions, in these two groups, what we, what we come to see are, are, are those who try to manipulate Jesus, try to trap Jesus, in order to suit their own agenda. 
try to get him to say what they want him to say in order for, for their, their view or their form of revolution to manifest. Jesus cannot be manipulated. Jesus cannot be directed. Jesus cannot be employed for our selfish objectives. He will not be. Jesus is not right-wing or left-wing, neither at this time nor at this time today. Jesus is not one or the other. We are not to endeavor to get Jesus on our side of any particular issue, whether it's a religious issue or a political issue. We're not trying to get Jesus on our side. That's not what we're doing. They say, well, what do you mean? No, we're trying to get on Jesus' side. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln had it right when he said this, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Woe to us if we think we can bring Jesus over to our side of any particular aisle and claim some sort of moral authority because we have Jesus. Not so, brothers. Not so, sisters. We need to get on the side of Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians were both trying to get Jesus to say the things that they wanted him to say in order, yes, to trap him, and yes, to further their agenda. These two, though, were an unlikely pairing, in fact. They were actually enemies. They didn't like each other. They, they were not friends. Uh, but, but here, as in earlier, we saw this in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, you can see it too, that they, they joined forces against a common enemy. Maybe, maybe you've heard this idiom before. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You ever heard that before? That, that, that's what these guys are doing. Oh, you hate him too? Then, then we're buddies, right? We will join forces against a common enemy. Their, their agendas were different. Right? The Pharisees saw Jesus as a religious opponent, while the Herodians identified him as a political opponent. But nevertheless, their objective was the same. They could agree that they wanted to stop Jesus. And in an effort to do that, in an effort to trap him uh, or catch him, that language is, is hunting language. I'm not a hunter, but I can understand what's happening here, right? It, it's the idea of trapping trapping something, trapping or, or catching him. Uh, they attempt to set him up. Verse 14 is the setup. And they do it with, with flattery. Look at verse 14. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds nice. Listen, you, you and I both know there's a difference between a compliment and flattery, right? If you've experienced it, you know, right? A compliment has, has no ulterior motive, right? A compliment is something someone's saying to you because they're, they're being kind, they're trying to be, be encouraging. Flattery is agenda, right? Flattery is they're buttering you up to get something from you, to try to, to let, for you to let down your defenses. We ought to be aware or beware of flattery. The scriptures speak of a, about that. Psalm 5, 9, Proverbs 26, 28, Proverbs 29, verse 5. So how do they start with their flattery? Teacher, or some of your Bibles might say, or it could have been translated, master. Teacher or master. Here the Pharisees are saying this to Jesus, teacher and master. 
Right, <laughs> right, because that's really how they, they view him. They're, they're fading respect here for Jesus. And we know that because their previous actions tell us that they didn't actually respect him at all. They didn't actually believe him at all. If they honestly believed that he taught the way of God, then they wouldn't be trying to trap him. <laughs> like they, they wouldn't need to say these things. They wouldn't even need to ask these questions. They would have believed him. Nevertheless, right, though this is insincere, clearly it's insincere, they're actually right. All these things are true about Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, true. He is, in fact, someone who does not care about others' opinions. He, he didn't say what he said to, to, for, for people to like him. He wasn't swayed by appearances. God, we know, is not. Neither is Jesus, who is the Son of God. He did, in fact, teach the way of God. So here, here this attempt to, to kind of butter him up or to smooth talk Jesus doesn't work. It doesn't work, but they don't know that yet. So they, they get to their question. The rest of verse 14. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now the tax being referred to here is called a, a head tax or a poll tax that was imposed on a conquered people. It was as a result of, of a census that was taken. And then those people would then have to pay a tax. Well, the Jews objected to this tax. They didn't, they didn't like the idea that they should pay a tax to Rome because it was a sign of subjection to Rome. And they didn't want to be underneath Rome. They didn't think they should be underneath the foreign power. And additionally, additional to that, the way that you paid this tax was with their coinage, which had an idolatrous image on it. So even for a Jew to do that would have been against their, their own understanding or their own religion. But on its face, you might seem like this is a legitimate question. Do we have to pay taxes or not? Now Mark already told us, though, that this is a trap. And we're going to find out that Jesus knows that this is a trap as well. But it, it, it presents as an either-or scenario. right? It presents as though the, the answer is yes or no. Which would be either a, a win-lose situation it actually looks to be a no-win situation, a lose-lose situation. And why, why is that? Because if Jesus says yes, if Jesus responds and says, yes, it is lawful for you to pay the taxes, pay your taxes, Jews, then he would have been deemed a traitor to the Jewish people. Right? And the Jewish people were thinking he was a prophet. They thought he was on their side. And so he would have been in opposition then uh, to, to the Jews. If he said, no, it's, it's not legal, you don't have to pay your taxes, then that puts him at odds with the Romans. The Romans would have then seen him as a, an insurrectionist. He was divisive. He was leading a, a revolt against Rome. So in some ways, you look at this and say, he can't, he can't give a right answer here. Like, it's lose-lose. No matter what he says, he's going to have the wrong answer because he's going to upset somebody. It seems like there's no good answer here, but then we remember that Jesus, who is wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, is never outmatched for mere man, right? He's never outmatched. But what we look at and say, man, I don't know what I would say to that. Jesus wouldn't play their game, and he gives them an answer, though, in verse 15. And he says this, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Jesus first calls, calls them out. 
right? First of all, I know what you're doing, okay? So I, I know what you're doing. Uh, I know that you're, you're, you're a, a hypocrite. Math, Matthew calls it wickedness. Luke calls it craftiness, right? I know what you're doing. What, what's kind of ironic here, though, is they had just said in verse 14 that Jesus was someone who was not swayed by appearances, right? And here these guys are appearing in a certain way. They're appearing as, as someone who, who, who wants to, to hear from Jesus and learn from Jesus. And yet their very point that they're, they're making is being uh, affirmed by their own, their own actions. And they, don't even, they don't even see it. Well, Jesus calls them out for testing him. That's the same word back in chapter 1 when the devil comes to tempt Jesus. It's the same word. It's, it's here called tested. It's there called tempted. It means the same thing. They, like the devil, were soliciting him to do evil. There's this indication of demonic intent here. These guys are up to no good. This is not a legitimate or honest question. We can ask legitimate and honest questions of Jesus. God is not afraid of our questions. Asking if we should pay taxes is not a bad question. That's not the problem. The problem isn't the question. The problem is the motive behind the question, the intention behind the question. And so here, Jesus is getting to deeper and revealing what they're doing. We are reminded as we think about this idea of tempting and being tempted that we, as Jesus did, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Well, Jesus commanded them to bring him a denarius to look at it. A denarius is a silver coin equivalent to a day's wages. So they bring him a coin, verse 16 says, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar. Now, you might remember back in chapter 11, when they, they asked Jesus a question, Jesus responds with saying, I'll answer your question about where I get my authority if you answer this question about where did John the Baptist get his authority. And they responded with a non-answer. We don't know, right? They claimed ignorance. Well, well here, there's nowhere to, to hide. The coin is telling the, the answer, right? They can't claim ignorance. The coin is right before them. So they have to answer Jesus' question here. And what was on that coin? The inscription is said to have read, according to history, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the reverse side, it read, chief priest. So they bring in the coin. Jesus asks the question. They admit that it says Caesar. And then Jesus responds in verse 17 and says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. Now, Jesus finds a third way here, right? He doesn't give them a yes and a no. He doesn't give them a no and a yes. He gives them a different answer altogether, one they did not anticipate. Jesus did not answer with an either-or question. And they all, the, the, the end of verse 17 says, they all marveled, or they were all amazed, or they were all, all astonished. Like, they thought they had him. We got him. He's got to say yes or no. He's going he's gonna to tick off somebody one way or the other. Here, here it is. 
And Jesus responds by doing something no one anticipated. And his response was absolutely true. And with that truth, he gave the right answer, of course, but gave neither group what they wanted. Right? He was able to answer the question without giving the groups, either group what they wanted. Instead, he affirms the government's role while declaring that God rules over all. This is masterful, masterful answer. James Montgomery Boyce, a theologian, offers four logical options concerning the question about the authority of the state, that is government, and the authority of God. The authority of Caesar and the authority of God. The authority of government and the authority of God. His first option, he says, is that God has an authority with the authority of Caesar uh, denied. God alone has an authority with the authority of Caesar denied. While this view is held by some Christians, it, it, it more likely falls into monasticism, which we often attribute to Catholic monks from, from days gone by. But, but what, it, what, what we're saying here, what this position is, is a willful separation from the world. It is a, a withdrawal from society. It's a refusal to participate in or use the services of the state. Right? We might think of people, groups like the Amish, for instance, here. Right? Where they would say, there is no other authority, period. We're not listening to anyone else. There is no other authority. Uh, the second logical option is Caesar or the state alone has an authority with the authority of God denied. So the second option is to see only the state as the authority. Right? This is held by unbelievers, and it is what we would call secularism. It is the, the, uh, with, it is the dismissal of God as any sort of authority at all. He, he has no authority here. John chapter 19, Jesus is being tried by Pilate. And in verse 15, they, they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Right, the king of the Jews. And the chief priest answered, <clears throat> We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. That's secularism. It's saying only the state, only the government, only, only Caesar has power. The danger here is that Caesar or the state has no accountability then, right? That there's no check on their authority. If you think that the state has ultimate or, or sole authority, then there is, no, there is no check. There's no retribution. There's no way to, to, to uh, combat that. Unchecked power can be deadly. You've probably heard this quote before, but power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you only need to turn on the news right now to see this very thing. This is how secularism works. If God's, if God's authority is eliminated, if it's only the state, then the state controls everything and there is no other authority. This option gives Caesar singular authority and it is dangerous to say the least. The third option is that the authority of God and Caesar are both recognized with Caesar as the dominant position. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, if anyone claims to obey the state before God, or rather than God, while nevertheless believing, still believing in God, it can only be because he is afraid of what Caesar can do to him. 
Let's go back to John 19 again. Hear Pilate. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, and the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And then we get to the part where he says, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to release him, right? Why? Because Caesar was the ultimate authority in Pilate's mind. And yet, as history records, years later, Pilate, after his capitulation to Caesar, Pilate was removed from office. He was banished in France. This is the way of cowards, is what we would say here. It's an attempt to blur the line, and when the rubber meets the road, cower to the fear of man. The fear of man rules us, that Caesar gets the final word and not God. Well, there is a final option. The authority of God and Caesar, but with God in the dominant position. And this is the position that Jesus articulates in verse 17. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. This is the appropriate view of biblical Christianity. Whatever Christians might think, whatever Christians or churches you've heard say different things about God and the government, here's the words of Jesus. And summarized, we can say this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying there are two authorities, but God is the dominant position clearly. Render to Caesar or pay to Caesar what is his. Right? So the, the money, the money bears his image. Therefore, it belongs to him. So what? Pay your taxes, right? Yes, pay your taxes. What do you mean? You're using his money. Yes, pay your taxes, of course. Here, Jesus is acknowledging and affirming the validity of human governments instituted by God. Now, now some of us can look at, at bad governments and say, man, all government is corrupt and should be done away with. Now, you, you might feel that way, but, but the institution of government itself was designed by God. Have, has, has man corrupted? Well, of course man has corrupted. We've corrupted everything. Everything is corrupt. But the institution itself is designed by God and therefore is to be acknowledged and affirmed. But greater than, than giving to Caesar what is Caesar, Jesus goes on to say, give to God the things that are God's. So if these coins that bear, bear Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, then whatever bears God's image belongs to God. Well, what's that? That's all of us. That's all the people he's talking to. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let's get our order right. Right? God, man, then creatures. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? We bear the image of God. It's called the imago dei. That the, the God's image is in us. We are born with it. And because we bear it, we belong to God and deserve his, our, he deserves our allegiance. To bear God's image means that we represent God. You represent God. You represent God in, in how you, you can reason and think in your intellect and your choice. 
We represent God morally with, with a conscience or a moral compass and a sensibility. We represent God or, or resemble God in so, socially as we relate to one another. We are to represent God on the earth. That's what God is doing in creation with, of, of man and woman. He's setting us to rep, represent. And so as we see one another, we're seeing the image of God. J.C. Rao writes, Jesus bids them pay tribute to the Roman government in temporal things. For by using its money, they allow themselves bound to do so. Yet he bids them give obedience to God in spiritual things. And not to uh, suppose that the earthly, and not to suppose that the duty to the earthly sovereign and the heavenly sovereign are incapable of being reconciled with one another. In short, he bids the proud Pharisee to refuse not to refuse his dues to Caesar, and the worldly Herodians not to refuse his dues to God. Or as one writer says, in essence, let Caesar have his things, but give God your heart. The New Testament affirms over and over again the validity of government. We won't take time to go to Romans 13, but let me just read you the first verse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who have existed have been instituted by God. Paul is picking up on what Jesus was teaching here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 17. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Titus chapter 1. What? We are called to submit ourselves to rulers. We are called to submit ourselves to our authorities. We are to be obedient. We are to be ready to serve. We are to be ready to obey. We are to pray for them. Now let's be honest, that is sometimes more challenging than others. God has appointed government. God has appointed the positions, but sometimes the people in those positions are not respectable. In such a case, we respect the position if we can't respect the person. Having said all of that, there are times when we are not to obey governments. There are times for civil disobedience. One commentator says, although the state has divine sanctions, it does not have divine status. That's helpful. It's an important distinction. There are times for, for non-compliance when the government strays from its role, its God-given role, when it defies God's law. We can summarize this in two very uh, concise examples. When the state commands what God forbids, we resist. When the state commands what God forbids. So think of Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told, bow down to this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't, you're going in the fiery furnace. They said, no way. We will not do what God forbids. Though the state commands me to do it, I will not do it. And they suffered for it. Right? They were threatened, and they actually were thrown into the fire. God preserved them, and they came out alive without even being burned at all. But the point is, when to resist? When the state commands what God forbids. Secondly, when the state forbids what God commands. So not only when they command something that God forbids us to do, but also when the state forbids something that God says to do. And we go a little further into the book of Daniel, and we find this, that the, the, the 
um, the people who are against Daniel uh, get together a law that says that, that he can't pray to, to his God. He can only pray to the king. David said, I'm not, David said, I'm not doing that. The state has forbid something that God commands, so I'm going to continue to do what God has commanded me to do. That's civil disobedience. He didn't do it in, in secret either. <laughs> he threw the shades open like he would always do. Noncompliance. We must not violate God's law in order to comply with the state. We never go against a conscience captive to the word of God. Now, in good times... That sounds nice, right? Like, yes and amen. But in bad times, we say, like, how, how do we know that we're actually going to be able to do that? <laughs> right? When, when it actually comes time, right? When they're knocking on the door. When the threat comes to you. Stop praying. Don't worship that God. Stop talking about the Bible. That's hate speech. When it comes, how, how do you know you're going to be ready? Let me offer you three Three thoughts here. First, we find in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. That's a different story than the stories we've been talking about in the book of Daniel. But what we find is from the beginning, Daniel made a decision that he would not go against God's law. He would not. He would not violate what God had told him to do. No matter what, no matter what comes. And so for you and me, it is to resolve now, resolve in, in the good times, that, that we will not violate what God has commanded. Secondly, we pray for boldness. Another example of this civil disobedience is found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, this is the prayer. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You will need to pray for boldness. When the threats come, you will need to pray for boldness. We might feel really bold right now because we're not experiencing the threat. But when the threat comes, we're going to need to pray these prayers. And finally, know who you are living for. If we are living for the praise of man, then we will crumble like a house of cards. If we are trying to preserve our kingdoms, we will crumble like a house of cards. If we're trying to keep our money or our reputation or, or whatever it is, when opposition comes, we will crumble. And our crumbling will say we cared more about them than we cared about what the Lord had to say. Know who you're living for. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's get our priorities in order now. Right? Let's recognize the, 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 the limits of this world, the temporalness of this world, the opinion of man is fleeting we cannot live for it. We are made for another world. Let us treasure the eternal things. Jesus, here in Mark chapter 12, was confronted by these re religious leaders. And he, he moved their attention, as Warren Wearsby says, from politics to principle. That the point really wasn't about Caesar and taxes and all those things. It was about, it was about the, the principle. It was about the heart of the matter. What are you actually 
What are you actually trusting in? What are you actually believing in? Where is your allegiance actually at? Greater than our concern for obedience to the human government ought to be our concern to give our ultimate allegiance to the one true God who rules over all. This God who so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God deserves our allegiance. No one else deserves our ultimate allegiance. And in his death for our sins, he has provided forgiveness. He has provided rescue from our sins and life eternal that begins now and lasts forever. And you can know that life. You can experience that life. Jesus began his public ministry with this proclamation. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. How can you know your sins are forgiven? How can you know that you're going to heaven one day? Repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the work of Jesus on your behalf. It's his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection in order to die the death that you deserve and offer you the life that only he can give. It's in light of this love of Christ for us that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. So our question today is to whom do you give your allegiance to? And hear the words of Jesus again. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pray with me. Father, would you help us to believe these words? Would you help us to understand how we even live those things out practically in our life, even this week? What does it mean for me, even today, to certainly honor the institutions that you have set up but recognize that you rule over all of it. So ultimately, I'm not here to please any other leader, any authority, any government, but God alone. It's with that motivation that we can go into a world, into a world that is increasingly hostile, always has been, but increasingly so to you, It's in the midst of that that we can go with confidence to live a life that honors you, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do. Do it all to the glory of God. Would you help us to do it this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hope, my shepherd will if you believe this. With every breath I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. You guys ready? To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus, and all the glory evermore to Him. But when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me yet not I but through Christ in me Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And as we go from here, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father who loves us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort our hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming today. May God bless you and keep you. Our God, you